0: Hello and welcome to the Sound of History Podcast. My name is Nick.
1: My name is Mika and also Ajax is here. And Echo. No, but but Ajax is right here. Echo is here too.
0: <laughs> this is a music history podcast where I'm trying to teach Mika the whole story of American music history.
1: And I'm trying to pet my cat.
0: Yes, that is how it generally goes. Yee- We're in the 60s right now. Do you remember what we talked about last? (laughs) Sixties. That is the official theme song of this portion of the podcast.
1: Go, go, go. I have no clue what's happening. Wait, wait, wait. Psychedelic rock?
0: Yes, that was the last episode.
1: It's hard to forget.
0: (laughs) So today we're going to be talking about the Grateful Dead, who are probably the most well-known of the psychedelic rock era. But first, it's been a long time.
1: I don't know so I'm to sure you have
0: plenty of things to say. Uh, uh, <laughs> so Mika is the host now.
1: Mika is the host now. Listen, I am hanging on by a thread. <laughs> I would like to plug therapy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and days off work.
1: Oh my gosh. Days off work. I did yoga outside today. It was nice. It was nice to pretend like... I I had my life together for a second. Didn't we watch something really good recently?
0: Um, He's like TV show movie. What are you talking about?
1: I don't remember. I just feel like we watched something really good. We watched the Andy Samberg. That's it. The Andy Samberg movie on Hulu. I don't remember what it's called, but it was Palm Springs. Maybe ride that think was a ride
0: I think it's Palm Springs it's good
1: also love is blind but no mm. one needs to have that suggested <laughs> to them everyone knows
0: no one needs to watch that
1: everyone needs to watch that I hope they're okay
0: they're not and that's why they're on love is blind <sighs> anything the else the
1: Hamiltons are doing so good cool they're doing so good. <laughs> they love each other.
0: I don't know who they are.
1: Everyone else does.
0: I don't. I don't know that we have a very strong "Love Is Blind" following.
1: I think you're the only person in the world who hasn't seen it.
0: I. I don't think that's true. Anything else? Anything non "Love Is Blind" related? I
1: don't know haven't had time to think. We just talked about how I haven't had time to think for a month.
0: It's true. Mika no longer the host now.
1: Soccer! Yeah. Soccer's back. I'm happy about soccer being back. We won.
0: (laughs) She's talking about the MLS. Because world soccer has been around for a while.
1: I thought that it wa- it happened and then paused and then, and now we're doing MLS. Is that not how it works? Are we going to keep doing world soccer over the next few months?
0: Oh, you, I was talking about like European leagues have been going on since like August.
1: Well, that's not world soccer. That's Europe
0: soccer. It's, okay. But like, so has like South American leagues and other stuff. So I just said world. But the national team happens mm-hmm. every so often. Like there's games, I think this that's month.
1: That's what I thought. Okay. Yes, MLS is back. We support Nashville. Nashville's amazing. I love them so much. Mwah. That's all.
0: Okay, Megan no longer the host?
1: Megan no longer the host. I want to drink my wine and eat my chocolate. <laughs>
0: okay. Well, it's been a while since we've recorded an episode.
1: Hi. <laughs> Hello. I'm sorry.
0: We did. We put out a sound of conspiracies about Tupac and Biggie.
1: Frick, I forgot to listen to it.
0: Yes that was a couple weeks ago So check that out if you haven't listened to it It's like a fun new little Side thing I'm doing with my friend Jacob From the What's Your Spaghetti Policy Podcast To give Mika a little bit of a break And to make sure we can still put up episodes
1: I really appreciate that I was going to make a joke about how like I'm not satisfying you and whatever But (laughs) then I was like actually I really appreciate it A lot
0: Okay.
1: (laughs) So go listen to that
0: (laughs) Go follow us on social media, mas- mostly just Twitter. That's all we really have. Twitter.com slash soundofhistory underscore.
1: When was the last time that you tweeted? Quote. Um, when was the last time that you twote?
0: <laughs> I don't know. Maybe like last week sometime. This
1: is a really good promotion for people to follow us. <laughs> well, I mean,
0: You'll at least know when things are coming out since we tend to just take random unannounced breaks for a while. So it's a good way to follow us.
1: Is it a break if we're both working our asses off the it's whole time? a break time? from this.
0: <laughs> anyway, follow us on there. Give us reviews and ratings and stuff. Tell your friends. Tell your friends about how professional and great we are.
1: I am a professional.
0: <laughs> okay, so... What do you remember about psychedelic rock?
1: Not a lot. I just am picturing a mellow mushroom, and I think that that was a preconceived notion.
0: Yeah, that's what you said last time, too.
1: Okay, well, that, <laughs> we're, we're at the same place. <laughs> okay, so I taught you
0: nothing, basically. I remember
1: liking it more than I thought I would.
0: We talked about a couple, ba- like we talked about The Doors with the Jim Morrison, who you hated. Why? He was like an arrogant frontman type. Uh. He passed away of an overdose in Paris. Um, I don't remember what else we talked about. But yeah, psychedelic rock just obviously involves a lot of psychedelic drugs. And the music is meant to enhance that experience. And the stage shows are what everyone loves. Because there's like a lot of lights and stuff like that. We also talked about like Jefferson Airplane. And Jefferson Starship. The name I call it. You can't do that. It's already a band name. Anyway, today we're going to be talking about the Grateful Dead, who are probably now the most loved and well-known of the psychedelic rock groups.
1: Do they have, like, a mascot of bears?
0: What? Why would they be bears?
1: I don't know. I'm picturing, like, teddy bears, but, like, with, like, you know, the 70s, like, psychedelic, like, like, colorful yellow and orange like blobs or like it's like an outline but it's like less details
0: i mean maybe because i did a search for grateful dead bears and that's what came up (laughs) yeah how did you i don't even know about that how do you know about that
1: i think i saw a phone case about it
0: okay well yeah they i guess they had bears i don't (laughs) i don't know what they're for
1: grateful dead care bears
0: okay do you know anything else about them other than no i'm surprised
1: i know that (laughs) me too why are they bears i don't know tell us if you know why grateful dead are bears
0: like i i had no idea that that was a thing so i don't know how this article says it's iconic
1: the iconic bears
0: whether it's or iconic not,
1: enough to be on a phone case.
0: Whether or not you consider yourself a deadhead, you've certainly seen the iconic Grateful Dead dancing bears, which I have not. It was on the back cover of one of their albums. One of their they were designed for a man named Owsley Bear Stanley. Okay, anyway, tangent. Grateful Dead.
1: That wasn't so, a tangent. That was on subject. Yeah,
0: sort of, yeah. So you don't you don't know anything about him? No. All right. Well, we'll learn. We'll see how you feel about them at the end of this. On August 1st, 1942, Jerry Garcia was born in San Francisco. His father was a musician who was blackballed from the musicians union after moonlighting, playing gigs for unreported money that you don't have to pay taxes on.
1: Ooh.
0: That was a no-no. So he's blackballed, not allowed to play anywhere. So his father and a partner bought a bar. You know, as you do, when you can no longer make it as a musician. So Jerry was around music basically his entire life, and he started taking piano lessons at a very early age. When he was five, his father passed away during a fly fishing accident.
1: Wh- hold on. <laughs> We're going to spend any more time on that?
0: Nope. Just kind of. <laughs> what? I don't know. That's don't know. weird.
1: Nah, things happen. That's weird. That's suspicious.
0: <laughs> Things happen, I don't know. Fly fishing is dangerous, I guess.
1: Oh what do you get did he get hooked with a hook and then like bleed out? Did he get like thrown off the boat? Do you even go on a boat? I don't think you go on a boat. Did someone push him?
0: I doubt someone pushed him because it said accident, not murder.
1: I mean everything is an accident unless you mean to do it on purpose.
0: (laughs) So like a murder instead of (laughs) thank you for that grammar lesson from Mika
1: (laughs) did you find any more information (laughs) come on we're doing a homicide let's go (laughs) dig
0: I can't I've looked I did a very short google search
1: another cold case
0: In the spring of nineteen forty eight, while on a fishing trip, Jerry Garcia saw his father swept to his death in a California river.
1: Oh my god! (laughs) He was there?
0: I guess. That's according to this Rolling Stone article I just randomly found.
1: Oh my god. That's dramatic.
0: All right, well, now we're moving on from that.
1: You're moving on a lot easier than I'm sure he did.
0: Well, yeah, probably. His mother bought out the bar after his father's death and started working there full time, sending Jerry and his brother to live with her parents. So Jerry's grandparents introduced him to bluegrass and country music. They listen. They used to listen to the Grand Ole Opry all the time. I was just
1: gonna say why.
0: Oh, (laughs) they liked it. When rock music started to flourish in the 50s, he got really into it and even started to learn the guitar so he could play along to Chuck Berry's songs on the radio.
1: See, when you said originally that he learned piano, I was like, this is not adding up.
0: (laughs) But you can already tell, like, he's getting a wide range of influences. Because according to that Rolling Stone article I just saw, his dad was in a Dixieland band. So he's got, like, the country and bluegrass, and now he's got rock, he's learning piano. So, like, he's got a... A wide variety of music interests going on right now. Cool. Jerry dropped out of high school at the age of 17. Shocker.
1: Dude, you're so close.
0: <laughs> and kind of floated around for a bit. He got into marijuana at this time and started to focus more heavily on making music. The next year, he joined the army, quickly racked up eight AWOLs and two court martials, and know then what that left. Means. AWOL stands for away without leave. So oh. he just left eight times. And then court-martialed is basically when you get in trouble and you have to go to army court. So that happened twice, and then he left the army because it just wasn't for him.
1: So far, he's a quitter.
0: (laughs) No, he just hasn't found where he belongs yet. Reportedly, he joined the army after stealing a car and being given the option to either join the army or go to prison.
1: Oh, my God.
0: But... Just disclaimer, I don't know for sure that that story is true. Could be wrong. That's just something I read somewhere. And it seems like it fits.
1: The army would.
0: After the army, he started to get involved in the local coffee house scene and get more plugged in with okay. other artists or with other artistic dropouts with similar musical influences as him.
1: I want to hang out in a coffee house all day.
0: In San Francisco, too. It's
1: basically what I did this morning. But yeah. in... Not San Francisco. In Murfreesboro. <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk to me. <laughs> so we,
0: they know we're in Nashville. So in this coffeehouse scene, he met Robert Hunter, who had become his longtime songwriting partner. In 1961, he was riding in a car that got into a terrible accident, resulting in a broken collarbone Ooh. when Jerry was thrown through the windshield. Ooh. A 16-year-old singer-songwriter sustained fatal injuries in the accident. Jerry later said about the accident quote that's where my life began before then I was always living at least at less than capacity I was idling that was the slingshot for the rest of my life it was like a it was like a second chance
1: nothing like seeing someone <laughs> broken to the point that they die in order to catapult you forward
0: <laughs> yeah because he said he got serious after that accident
1: oh my gosh
0: He dedicated his life to playing the guitar, which means he gave up on drawing and painting for a bit. For a bit. (laughs) Over the next couple of years, while Jerry started to teach guitar and banjo to kids, he immersed himself in the art scene and met many of the musicians who would eventually be members of the Grateful Dead. In the early 60s, he mainly played folk and bluegrass music. He played in or formed several bands during this time, including ones with names like Sleepy Hollow Hog Stompers. Oh my. And Mother McCree's Uptown Jug Champions. Oh my. In 1964, Jerry first tried LSD, which he said opened up his eyes that the life he was living until then was a fiction. No comments?
1: I can't comment on LSD. I don't know. (laughs) That's
0: fair. In 1965, Phil Lesh joined Mother McCree's Uptown Jug Champions, and they changed their name to the <laughs> Warlocks.
1: So <laughs> awful. It comes from one bad boy name to another. Like,
0: <laughs> How is Mother McCree's Uptown Jug Champions a boy name?
1: How is it not?
0: It's not in, in any one name. <laughs>
1: jugs.
0: Well, I think that's more like a jug band. Like the old bluegrass playing with jugs type it's thing. It's
1: not. It's about boobs. It's always about
0: boobs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the Warlocks played in several different bar shows, including a residency where they played five sets a night, five nights a week for Holy six cow. weeks. Yeah. It's kinda, I think
1: I'm tired.
0: It's kind of, it reminds me of like the Beatles playing in Germany. Like that's kind of, seems like the bands who do that kind of insane schedule are generally end up being the best because they just like, You have to be. Yeah. Then they learned that there was another band that already put out a record under the name Warlocks, so they had to change their name again. Oh, no. They settled on the Grateful Dead, which I think is a better name than the other options. Um,
1: Marginally.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The band was made up of Jerry Garcia on vocals and guitar. Bob, oh boy, Weir, W-E-I-R. -I I would go Weir. That's what I would go to, but I don't know. Well, Bob was Jerry's friend and fellow high school dropout who played guitar. Ron Pigpen McKinnon, McKin- McKernan.
1: I'm sorry, Pigpen, as in yeah. like Pigpen from the Peanuts?
0: Yes, it's his nickname, Pigpen McKernan.
1: Was he also always like tracking around a cloud of dust? Maybe.
0: He was a very talented blues vocalist that Jerry met around the local coffee shop scene, and he also played keyboard. Then there was Bill Krutzman, who was a teenager at the time and occasionally needed a fake ID to make it into the bars that they were playing. Nice. He played drums. The band's local following attracted Phil Lesh, who was an er experimental composer, and he joined them on bass. Hmm. So a lot of people. I don't think you're really going to remember them all.
1: I already forgot their names.
0: (laughs) You can at least name two of them, right?
1: Uh, Jerry Garcia, but only because of Cherry Garcia. (laughs)
0: What about the other ones?
1: Yeah, I don't know.
0: The peanuts. Come on.
1: Oh, big pen.
0: Yes, Jerry's the main one. Just remember Jerry, and you'll be okay.
1: Good old Jerry Garcia. Their first. Is that why it's called Cherry Garcia?
0: I don't know. Probably not, but.
1: I think it is. They're all punny. Well, not all of them. Also have you ever had cherry garcia? It's really yummy.
0: I have not cuz cherry is not my favorite ice cream flavor.
1: I mean mine neither, but it's like it's like the jenny's like um like the goat like goat milk and peach peaches. I don't know. It's like it's like the the tartness is really good in the cream and then chocolate. Right? I think there's chocolate in it. I haven't had it for like a long time. You finding anything out?
0: It is named after Jerry Garcia. Ha! Because it's a Ben and Jerry's flavor. And a fan left a note in Maine. And they just left the idea on like a bulletin board in a Ben and Jerry's for a flavor that would celebrate the Grateful Dead. And then the staff there ignored it. So she wrote a postcard to like the headquarters. Anyway.
1: Thank you, kid.
0: Their first shows as the Grateful Dead took place at Ken Kesey's legendary acid tests. What? These acid tests.
1: A- acid tests? Yes. As in acid? Yes. All right.
0: They were a series of parties held by author Ken Kesey in the San Francisco area that celebrated and advocated for the use of LSD. They used black lights, strobe lights, and fluorescent paint.
1: Sounds like a great time, to be it's honest. Just sounds like a rave. Again, great time.
0: You've never been to a rave.
1: <laughs> I've pretended. I've put, I've put hate on my body. Leave You've me alone. you pretended.
0: You're just in our bedroom with clothes. <laughs> things.
1: <laughs> That's why it takes me so long to do my makeup.
0: <laughs> These acid tests were legendary for their impact on the countercultural movement in San Francisco. By playing at the acid test, the Grateful Dead cemented their status as icons of this new cultural movement. Pretty much anyone who was anyone of this kind of like hippie summer of love movement was going to the acid test or had like performed at it in some way. So by being the band there, they're now like the band of this movement. Through the first couple of years, they started to develop their own musical style that was pretty conversational, generated a diehard fan base that followed them relentlessly and started to write their own songs. They also played a ton of shows all over the Bay Area. In 1966, they signed to Warner Brothers Records and released their first album, which was mostly cover songs, and only featured one extended jam session (laughs) that would kind of, like, be what they were known for later on.
1: That's so weird.
0: Yeah. Jerry later said of this album that it was, quote, just simply what we were doing on stage, basically that, just rock and roll. We were playing all the places that were trying to become the Fillmore or trying to become the Avalon as well as the Fillmore and the Avalon. And there were places down in LA that were that trying was a to weird way of saying that. It was, but eh, whatever. And there were places down in LA that were trying to get started and places in San Diego. End quote. So they were just playing a lot and they just basically recorded a set and put that out as an album. I don't really know what to play you from this album since it's like not
1: Jam sush. It's jam, not like sush. it's
0: not no one's gonna know them from any of these songs. It's not their but the style they became famous for. So I'm just gonna play you the most popular song from it, according to Spotify streams.
1: Jam Sesh.
0: and that song is called "The Golden Road." And here's them playing it live in 1967.
1: Why don't you care about what I have to say?
0: Well, I don't know what you're what, just chanting jam session. He said means. That there
1: was a really long jam session.
0: I already know this. I don't want to hunt that now.
1: Why does he look, like, exactly, I imagine, a handful would look, but, like, plus 25? Like,
0: you know what's on a hand-durin?
1: No, a hand-durin driver. Oh. Like, I imagine him in later hope now, but he's, like, you know, a little bit. I haven't listened at it yet. Oh. It's his hair. His hair looks like him.
0: Just listen to this song for a <laughs> second.
1: I'm just explaining my thought process to the people. I think that's good. I like pizza. Oh, hot girl dance break. Oh, there's a her leg. There.
0: from their first album. That's chill. You didn't listen to any of it.
1: I liked it enough. I was just distracted. His hair is awful.
0: Well, you're one of the few because that album was a commercial failure. It failed to accurately capture their stage show, which is what everyone cared about. It also was pretty hard to categorize and market since the Grateful Dead resisted labels and genres of any kind. Which is not really a good idea it's for your first album. Like, you can do that when you're like big time. But for your first one, eh. I mean, they I guess it worked want for to them be eventually. True,
1: to themselves. true your heart. <laughs> be true to your heart.
0: Maybe you should audition for them.
1: Are they still touring?
0: I don't know. We'll find out. Despite the poor performance. They were still one of the biggest live music draws in the Bay Area during the 1967 Summer of Love and continue to play at the area's largest venues. They established a group of hardcore, dedicated fans that traveled with them everywhere, who were known as the Deadheads. I like it. They were the epitome of the counterculture. They were draped in flowers and long, flowing dresses. They danced arrhythmically while the Grateful Dead jammed on stage for hours and hours. Thanks to them, the Grateful Dead were a massive live band, despite never having a radio hit, which went against everything that the music industry thought possible at the time. Which is kind of cool.
1: I want to be a hippie, but <laughs> I want to dance rhythmically.
0: Well, too bad. You can't.
1: I can't be a hippie dancing rhythmically. Nope. Why?
0: You'd never pass the audition.
1: Why don't you have faith in me?
0: If you're going to dance rhythmically, you won't pass the audition. I'm sorry. it's just how it goes. I
1: don't want to be a deadhead. I want to be a hippie that dances rhythmically. Too bad. Like, I can't. The a, a rhythmic dancing to songs is not my vibe. <laughs> also in
0: 1967, they had an, an additional drummer join the band, making Two? them a six piece. Yeah. Probably not both playing on drum sets. Probably like a percussionist playing like whatever. Like Cal-mel. bongos and stuff like that. By 1969, they had recorded two more albums that were better at showcasing their jam style playing. They featured long, drawn-out songs. Their second album, called Anthem of the Sun, is five songs long and only one of the songs is under seven minutes.
1: Listen, that's how my favorite Christmas <laughs> album is, so um, <laughs> I get it.
0: Those are my least favorite. Kind. Like, I hate the long, drawn-out songs. I don't know why. Just they, I get so bored.
1: If it all, like, molds together, what's it matter if a song is three minutes or seven?
0: I guess, but I guess it's also mostly probably five minutes of just jamming, and I'm not a big instrumental fan. Like, I need words, so is generally not my style. By the time they released their third album in 1969, their penchant for time-consuming studio experiments left them over $100,000 in debt to the yeah. label
1: that makes sense.
0: (laughs) In order to fix that, they bowed to the fans' demands and recorded their first live album. The live album highlighted their improvisational and psychedelic sound better than any of their studio efforts did.
1: Did people do live albums before them? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Like, I can't... I just don't understand why it would take them so long to, like, do that, I guess.
0: I guess they... They probably would see it as selling out a little bit.
1: Well, that just seems like the kind of music that they like to do the most. So, like, why would you not do more of that? I guess. I don't know. What do I know?
0: I think the first live album was recorded at Carnegie Hall in
1: 1938.
0: Holy cow. But. Like, before around this time, they're basically all live albums, because they're just playing live in a studio and you're recording it, so it's kind of hard to tell. All right, so they released their first live album, and it was great, according to their fans. They quickly followed that up with two albums that were more traditionally folk and blues based. Those two albums are classics for Deadheads and feature songs that were always in the concert lineup.
1: This is really interesting to me because, like, I wouldn't think blues or folk mm-hmm. if you told me Grateful Dead. But then again, I don't know. I have no. Like, I couldn't name a Grateful Dead song yeah. if, like, I had a gun to my head, so I don't know.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's what, like, a lot of the psychedelic rock was kind of born out of the folk revival of, like, Bob Dylan and the birds and stuff. So this YouTube video isn't coming up. Okay, here we go. Here's one song from those albums that people love it's called Uncle John's Band
1: that's another bad band name I'm
0: well, just saying he's very descriptive he's great days, don't you
1: worry anymore when life looks like
0: easy street there is danger at your door think this through with me let me know you're mine what
1: a choice. My friends better take my advice.
0: I'm vibing. a little bit too rhythmically. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's so easy. Why would anyone non-rhythmically dance to this?
0: you come with me? All right, that's Uncle John's band. <laughs> that one's pretty folk. Like, come on. Pretty folky. Yeah. As you might expect, their status as LSD superstars drew the attention of police.
1: What? <laughs> We're talking about the police on this one too.
0: Yeah, generally. In I meant,
1: 1970. Like, I meant,
0: like it's a music. oh joke. no. <laughs> I mean, the police probably <laughs> listened to them. In 1970, while playing in New Orleans, the police raided their hotel and ended up arresting 19 people on various different drug charges. All of the charges were eventually dropped, except those against their sound engineer, who was already facing charges for LSD production in California. The events of that night were memorialized in a song called Truckin' that ended up being one of their biggest hits, peaking at number 64 in the charts.
1: One of their biggest hits only went to 64? Yeah,
0: they're not a radio band, which is like one of the big things about them. Like, how did they get so popular just completely going against the whole system of the music industry? Oh anyway, God. here's trucking. trucking. Got my chips cashed in. Keep trucking. Life to do the man together or less in life Just keep chugging on, on, on. Arrows of me and a flashing my keys out on Main Street Chicago, New York, Detroit, and it's all on the same street A typical city involved in a typical got a soccer machine, Houston, too close to New Orleans, New York, got the ways and means, and just won't let you be,
1: man, just keep on talking, I know that, okay.
0: this is- right. I know that phrase, most of the cats you meet on the streets speak a true love, most of the time they're sitting in lying and home.
1: I'm trying to. I'm, gonna play it with the rose
0: I'm trying to. They have the lyrics here, so I'm trying to read it, see if there's anything that is like, "Oh, that's clearly about the incident."
1: Trucking on LSD.
0: She lost her sparkle. You know, she isn't the same. Living on Reds, vitamin C, and cocaine. All right. In 1971, Mickey Hart, who was the second drummer that they added, took a break from the band after his father, who was an accountant, ran away with the band's money.
1: Oh my god!
0: <laughs> Mickey would later rejoin the band for good in 1974. No idea what happened to his dad. Looked for it, couldn't find it.
1: What?
0: They had several other musicians who would slip in and out of playing with them, as you would kind of expect with like the jam band type thing. They had a second keyboardist for a while to help Pigpen keep up with the increasingly psychedelic sound. They had other percussionists for a bit, but mostly the core group stayed intact. As their career gained traction, they started to sell more albums and see a little bit more chart success, but they were always first and foremost a live band. They were on the road for most of every year, playing all over the country. As more and more of the psychedelic rock contemporaries started to fade out in the 70s, they started to draw even more of a following. The Deadheads also grew to the point that their shows became something of a festival wherever they played. That's fun. People cared just as much about the spectacle of the traveling circus as they did about the music. And it kind of reminds me of like a NASCAR race where, because like I would go to NASCAR races as a kid and I do not care about NASCAR, but like. They just had tents and like fun activities to do all weekend.
1: Corn dogs?
0: Yeah, I guess. I don't <laughs> know. Just reminds me of that. Unlike the other members of the band, Ron Pigpen McKernan didn't take any psychedelic drugs.
1: Pigpen is the clean
0: one? Well, <laughs> he preferred drinking whiskey and fortified wines instead.
1: Sounds like you. Yeah,
0: but hopefully not to this extent. This led to severe liver damage, so doctors advised him to stop touring. After a brief hiatus, he returned to touring with the Grateful Dead. He also started to experience symptoms of rare autoimmune disease that was unrelated to his alcoholism. Yikes. His health continued to deteriorate until he could no longer perform with the band. He gave his last show on June 17, 1972. After that show, he broke off all contact with the band completely. Whoa. Saying, quote, I don't want you around when I die.
1: Whoa. End quote. He's not okay.
0: Nope.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: On March 8th, 1973, he was found dead in his room of a gastrointestinal hemorrhage.
1: Ugh. He
0: was 27 years old.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Jerry Garcia spoke at his funeral and said, quote, After Pigpen's death, we all knew this was the end of the original Grateful Dead.
1: That hurts. Oh my goodness. Yeah.
0: I think that's another member of the 27 Club. But the Grateful Dead carried on with a replacement keyboardist. They formed their own record label called Grateful Dead Records. And Is that re-
1: because they owed the other record label so freaking much they wouldn't <laughs> let them come back? <laughs>
0: Maybe. They f- Yeah, but I mean, Grateful Dead records, are not really being super creative with that one.
1: They're not the best at names. <laughs> I don't know how they landed on something as good as Grateful Dead. And I think I only think that... No, it's good. Never mind.
0: They probably pulled it from a book or something. If I'm remembering correctly.
1: That sounds right.
0: Uh, Jerry spotted the phrase Grateful Dead which the band later discovered to be from an Egyptian prayer in a dictionary and the name stuck
1: interesting what is he doing reading the dictionary
0: (laughs) it's probably not just the dictionary it was probably a dictionary of something I don't know okay
1: interesting
0: So they, after they formed their own record label, they released a jazz-inspired album that ended up being their biggest commercial success. Here is a song, Eyes of the World, from that album. For like a live band, I can't find a ton of live performances on YouTube. I guess none that like, because all their live performances are just jam sessions. None that capture the songs. about jazz years ago at this point. (laughs) We've been doing this so long. I'm
1: bored.
0: Okay, that was Eyes of the World.
1: I don't think I like Grateful Dead.
0: (laughs) I'm not a big fan of them. After releasing one more album, they decided to take a hiatus from touring. Before the break, they performed a series of five concerts in San Francisco at the Winterland Ballroom in 1974. The concerts were filmed with the intention of being compiled into the Grateful Dead movie, released in 1977. Again, great name.
1: I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it.
0: (laughs) I mean, I guess it's good from a marketing standpoint. Like, you see that, you know what it is. The fans are going to buy it. They resumed touring in 1976. The early 80s were a bit of an upheaval for the band. They were still touring, in fact, giving some of their best performances, but they were through but they went through another lineup change when Pigpen's rela- replacement left the band. That replacement would die the next year in a car accident.
1: Are they cursed?
0: I think so. At least their keyboardist. The are.
1: keyboard is cursed. It's the same keyboard. <laughs> the Grateful Dead and the haunted keyboard. <laughs>
0: No, that's too creative of a name. That is a
1: movie I would see.
0: The band released a pair of live albums in 1981 and then did not release another album until 1987.
1: That's a big break.
0: Probably because in the early 80s, Jerry Garcia's health began to decline. Oh, no. Because of his drug use. Oh, no. So he lost a lot of the energy on stage that made him so popular. In 1985, he started to gradually curtail his opiate usage. But he slipped into a diabetic coma for several days in 1986. Uh oh. It was after he recovered from that that the group recorded and released their album in 1987. So it's probably, probably a fair reason for a little bit of a break there. Prior to the release of that 1987 album, the Grateful Dead were seen as little more than a cult phenomenon that went on a little bit too long.
1: It kind of is giving me that vibe, not yeah. going to lie.
0: They were. A, They were like a weird sideshow that drew thousands of fans, but the larger music industry just kind of like completely ignored them. Hmm. As long as they stayed in their little box with their deadheads, the industry didn't really have to deal with them at all. Because now they have their own label too. So it's like, yeah, you guys just stay over there. But their new album, In the Dark, featured a song called Touch of Grey that became maybe the most unlikely hit in history, when it entered the top ten on the pop charts,
1: whoa!
0: It was the first Grateful Dead song to ever do that. All of a sudden, their videos were on MTV, their albums were all over the record stores, and scores of new fans flooded their live shows.
1: It's so weird to me to think about how we're talking about MTV right yeah. now. Yeah, <laughs> we've made it. We're there. Yeah.
0: Well, this is beyond where I generally want to go to. It's just we're not going back to them yet or again. So, like, yeah. we're still in the '60s. We're pre-MTV. But the long time, as a result of all this newfound popularity, long time deadheads had a hard time buying tickets to the shows.
1: Uh oh.
0: It also shifted the dynamic of their audiences quite a bit. Uh oh. They used to be super mellow, and now they became infamous for their rampant drug abuse and fighting with police.
1: Oh, goodness.
0: Yeah, the countercultural of the like late 80s, early 90s is different than the countercultural of the 60s. Oof. Here is Touch of Grey, the song that was such a hit. That was an unfortunate shot. Just the person playing the keyboard, turning into a skeleton.
1: That was a very... What do you mean? That was an intentional shot.
0: Yeah, but... Just considering two other keyboardists have died.
1: Oh. He's just turning translucent.
0: even this song that's, in theory, their most the pop-friendly me, radio accessible. I'm still not a huge fan of it.
1: Alright, let's touch a gray. It's fine.
0: The band had their busiest live show schedule yet. They went on the road with Bob Dylan, which, of course, resulted in another live album. They also had a string of personal tragedies in the following years. Oh, no. Pigpen's Replacements Replacement died of a fatal drug overdose, (sighs) making him the third keyboardist to die.
1: Oh, good lord. In
0: 1989, after a fan died from breaking their neck outside of a show in New Jersey.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: I think I said... After, but that's the end of the sentence. Another fan died of an overdose while in police custody in LA. So they're getting a quite rough reputation now after years of just being like a little sideshow that no one cared about. (sighs) The Grateful Dead released their last studio album in 1989, but continued their touring schedule. Jerry Garcia was once again hospitalized with diabetes and an enlarged heart in 1992 so the band put their forthcoming tour on hold. When he came out of the hospital, he looked more fit than ever. Even so, not many were surprised when it was announced that he was found dead in his room at a substance abuse treatment center in 1995. The official cause of death was a heart attack. Jerry Garcia's death spelled the end of The Grateful Dead as a musical group. The remaining members of the band would have reunions with various other members throughout the years as well as launching their own musical projects. In 2015, like what? what? Like what? Oh, I don't know. I don't know anyone.
1: What if, what if we
0: know one? I don't think we do. Okay. In 2015, some of the original members joined up with John Mayer to tour under Dead and Company. What? Uh, and they've since performed a few different tours under that name.
1: Okay. Yeah <laughs> the the music vibes. I see it. Yeah.
0: The Grateful Dead are a legendary band. Their live shows will probably be talked about for the rest of time. They played what they wanted, did what they wanted, broke pretty much every single rule they could possibly break in the music industry. And despite all that, they built a legion of dedicated fans and a culture all their own.
1: Were they? I, I feel like they were cool people. Probably. Like, that's how you get and keep fans like that.
0: It just honestly, it really feels like they were the first... Even though they had nothing to do with the internet, they were the first like internet model band like they built their own little dedicated following from the ground up. It was just about them and the fans they catered to their fans they like screw what the label wants, screw what's popular I'm doing what I want and I'm building my fan base and just like just they just let their fans build their career They didn't have to rely on a label or a marketing team or any of that. It kind of feels Power like of what a people. lot of feels like what a lot of like TikTok artists are doing right now where they're just like put a song on TikTok that blows up anyway it's the Grateful Dead okay I don't really like their music but I'm I like how they did it I like how they did their career
1: I wouldn't have been able to tell you what their music was like and I wouldn't <laughs> have said that
0: that's fair I think I, in my head and this is probably going to get people mad at me <laughs> I confuse them with the band Fish quite a lot, because it seems like I don't know their what their music sounds like, but they're also known for like big festival type shows, so I just feel like they're like similar vibes, but maybe I'm wrong.
1: I just guess that when I think like, oh yeah, countercultural, super popular yeah. live band. It, that's into drugs. That's not the vibe of music that I think of.
0: Yeah, that's fair.
1: But I was not alive in the 60s or the 70s or the 80s.
0: All right. Anything else to add? I don't. What are we doing next? I don't remember.
1: Heck, if I know, I'm going to sleep.
0: <laughs> We're doing. Woodstock eventually, but I think Ooh. we're doing heavy metal before that.
1: Ooh!
0: I think we have heavy metal, Led Zeppelin, Woodstock, and then we're done with the '60s, moving into the Ooh, '70s.
1: Mama, welcome
0: to the 60s. Yeah. Any, any sign off? We'll see you guys in a month.
1: Opposite, beat. have good night.